All right. Well, guys, let's start off this way. How many of you love scary movies? Do you like to go to scary movies? Okay, some people over here like scary movies. Maybe not so over here. I don't like to go to scary movies because they're scary, okay? I don't like to go to scary. So I'm more with you folks over here. The only way that I would enjoy going to a scary movie, sometimes I like it, if I go with a rowdy crowd. Do you ever go into a, a scary movie with a rowdy crowd where they talk back to the screen? right? Where people are like, do not look under the bed. Are you kidding me? Don't look under the bed. Or the really beautiful girl goes outside alone and you're like, she gone. Like that's, she's the next one out, right? I don't like scary movies because the intensity of those moments, they stick with you. Tell you what I'm talking about. I can give you little bits of a scary movie and you will know exactly the movie that I'm talking about, even though you probably saw it years ago. All right. Let me give you an example. Let me give you one scary movie. Ready? Donna. What is that? Jaws. Of course. Everybody knows that's Jaws. Let me give you another one. What's that? Psycho, exactly. My kids must be watching Psycho because I don't think they've showered ever since e-learning started, okay? So we watch these scary movies. Now, here's another one. There was a little boy. There was something that he saw. In fact, he would lean in and he would whisper it. He would say, I see dead people. Do you remember that? What movie was that? The Sixth Sense, okay, with the twist. Now, no spoiler alerts, okay? Somebody maybe not has, has not seen that. But here's why that one haunts me in particular. The reason The Sixth Sense haunts me is not just because it was a scary movie, but because in some ways as I walk around in life, I see dead people. I mean, people that are alive on the outside, but on the inside are, are dead or dying, people that relationally are just going through the motions. They're alive on the outside, but on the inside, just kind of dying relationally. They're lonely. They're isolated. There there are people that are dead in their dreams, people that started off their career thinking, man, I am going to change the world, and who now basically just punch a clock, They're working for the weekend, can't wait till the moment that they can retire. They're just kind of dying in regards to dreams and purpose in life. There are a lot of high school students that are are literally dying through anxiety and depression when they should be having the time of their life. And I'm going to say it, even church people, Even church people that come in into environments, maybe even like this one, who look so great on the outside. You guys are a good-looking group of people, okay? You look great like you got perfect marriages and perfect lives and perfect things, and people come to church, and everything seems perfect, except they'll come into my office, and they'll share with me, Pastor, some area of their life where they feel like they're dying on the inside. Guys, if you're here tonight or if you're watching this online, there might be some area of your life where you feel as though I'm dead or dying on the inside. And if that's you, man, I've got incredible news for you. There's a story in Jesus' life where he literally raises someone from the dead. 
His name is Lazarus. And if you're not familiar with the story, it's in John 11. I'm going to read it to you here. Uh, if you're at home, we might have this up on the screen for you. If you're with me, feel free to grab your phones and look at it on the, uh, uh, on the Bible app. But let me read this story to you because I, this coming back to life story is so inspiring to me. It says in verse 1, now a man named Lazarus was sick. Now he wasn't dead, but he was sick and he was dying. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And in verse three, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. They had seen Jesus heal people. They'd heard about all these miracles. Call Jesus because we've got somebody that's in trouble. And when Jesus heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Jesus has a plan. Jesus has a purpose. He goes on and he says, no, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. I mean, here is Jesus who's, who's saying, you know what? We can work behind the scenes. There's a purpose to this problem. This issue is something that I can work through. In fact, Jesus actually hears this 911 call and does something very strange. Now, I don't know if you've ever gotten a 911 call or if you've ever gotten somebody call you and it's like one of your kids was in a, an accident or you know they, they slipped and fell or, or someone called and said, hey, you've got a loved one that's in trouble or whatever. But when that happens in my life, I immediately hop in the car. I immediately get on the phone to figure out how I can help. I immediately jump to action. Do you know what Jesus does? He immediately waits two days. He hears that someone is sick and dying. He hears the desperation of these women. And he says, you know what? Let's wait two days. Because apparently Jesus has some grander vision in mind, some greater purpose for this moment. Guys, I don't know about you, but man, when the coach calls and says, hey, buddy, you didn't make the team, I see that as a setback. God sees that as a setup. He's setting me up for something greater. He's setting me up for some grander vision, some area of growth in my life. When the doctor calls and says, guess what? We found something on your test. I go, man, that's a setback in my life. God says, no, hold on. I'm setting you up for something. I'm setting you up to trust me. I'm setting you up to see how I'm gonna work in your life. When the boss calls and says, hey, guess what? We're gonna restructure and I've got a pink slip for you on your desk. I go, man, that is a setback in my life. And God says, hold on, man, I got a setup for you. In fact, I can go ahead and wait two days because I'm not even all that anxious about it. Jesus waits two days and then he says to his disciples, you know what, guys? Let's go on back to Judea where Lazarus was. Let's go on back to Judea where Lazarus was. Now, what you need to know is if you went back a couple chapters, you'd see that Judea is the very place where they tried to stone Jesus. The last time Jesus is in Judea, they tried to kill him. And now Jesus says, hey, you know what? Let's go on back there. And in the midst of this journey, Jesus and his disciples are going to encounter three characters that are alive on the outside but in some ways dying on the inside in different ways. And let's see if we can't look over their shoulder and learn something from them. The first character that we meet is a guy named Thomas. 
he, he's kind of famous for something. Y'all know what Thomas is famous for? Doubting, exactly, doubting Thomas. And sure enough, that's what he's doing in this story. Jesus says, let's go back to Judea. Oh, by the way, that's the place where Jesus uh, was was, uh, threatened to be killed. And Thomas sarcastically in verse 16 says, yeah, we can go back there that we may die with him. In other words, Jesus, are you kidding me? This is the wrong call. I am doubting whether or not you're making the right decision. I am doubting whether or not you're doing the wise thing in this moment. Do you ever struggle with doubt? Do you ever struggle with the doubt that God could actually show up and do something significant in your life? Like in my finances, God, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to actually make a difference? You're going to come down and write out the check to my landlord? Like what, what is God actually going to do? And it creates doubts. You have doubts with your teenagers or with your young kids or maybe with your older kids. Maybe you raised them up just just right, like you loved them. You took them to church, you got, and now they're kind of going off the deep end. And you go, man, I can pray for them, but other than that, I don't know what else to do. And God, you say in your word that if we raise them up the right way, that you're going to watch over them, that you love them, that you care about them. And honestly, God, I'm starting to feel a little doubt in that area of my life. You ever look in the mirror again and again and again and almost wave that finger at yourself and say, you know what? This is the last time I do this. Here I am saying I'm sorry to God again about the exact same thing. Something that makes me feel less confident, something that threatens my relationships, something that I I, I wish that I would not do. I hate it, and yet I keep going back to it. God, I doubt will you ever ever be able to make a change in my life. You ever see doubts creep in and begin to see things die on the inside? Well, I want to encourage you to do what Thomas did. You know, he was so good at doubting that he doubted his doubts. He doubted his doubts because what Thomas did was he actually put one foot in front of the other and he followed Jesus into that thing that he felt like he was doubting Jesus was making the right decision. In other words, he doubted his doubts and he put one foot in front of the other. And what we see is that it put him in a place where his doubts were answered and he gets to experience a miracle. And I just want to encourage you, if you struggle with doubt, Doubt your doubts. Put one foot in front of the other. Do the next right thing in following Jesus. And it will put you in a place where your doubts can be answered and you can experience the miracle that Jesus has for you. Well, Thomas, Thomas was struggling with doubt. He was dying in the area of doubt. Martha is dying in a different way. She's dying in her delay. Verse 17 says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. This is the writer, John, letting you know this guy was four days dead. He was dead, dead. Now, dead, dead is different than dead. Because if you've ever watched, like, dead is just like when Dwayne The Rock Johnson's in a movie and he dies. 
but you know somebody's going to come and like do, you know, epinephrine or the paddles or whatever, and he's going to come back and he's going to be bigger than ever and he's going to beat up 20 more guys. That's dead. This is four days dead. This is dead, dead. Dead, dead to the point that if you read the King James Version, anybody ever read the King James Version? It says about the body of Lazarus, it stinketh. (laughs) Now that is a great little detail that if you don't have a real job and you're a pastor, you have time to look up stuff like that, okay? But it says it stinketh because it's basically trying to let you know he is way dead, four days dead. And in verse 21, Martha comes and says, and Jesus, if you'd been here, if you'd been here, then my brother would not have had to die. And how many times do we join Martha in doubting God's timing, dying in the delay, not wanting to wait on God to move in the way and the time that God wants to move? My first ministry job was with a lot of young adults, and I can't tell you how many of them were just so itching. I mean, they're 21 years old, and they just could I got to find somebody to marry. I've got to find that special someone. And I can't tell you how many times that like some of the rest of us, not, not being judgmental or anything, but it just was obvious. It's like, you're looking for Mr. Right. I'm telling you, that's Mr. Right now. And it is not, he's not right for you. Like he's playing a lot of Xbox in his mom's basement. This guy does not have a huge feature. We're just like, ah. And you see people that rather than wait on God's best for their life, they want to take a shortcut. They want to short circuit all the good things that God wants to do. Why did Jesus wait those two days? Because for him, the waiting was worthwhile. For him, the delay had purpose in it. The struggle was, 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 was to produce something in them. Little Timmy was walking in the woods and he looked down and he saw a butterfly just emerging from its chrysalis, struggling to free itself from that gooey, sticky stuff. And he'd gotten one wing free and he got another foot free, and then another foot, and then another foot, and another foot. And Timmy is leaning in like, this is amazing watching this, this, this miracle of nature. And, and the butterfly had one more wing to get free. And, and Timmy just could not stand it anymore. He just leaned in to help the butterfly, and he grabbed that chrysalis and just plucked it, freeing the butterfly who crawled to the end of the branch and leapt into the air and fell to the ground. Because God programmed into the process of the butterfly struggling to emerge from the chrysalis that that very process would mature the wings, would strengthen the wings, would prepare the wings in such a way that the butterfly could soar to the heights that God created the butterfly to soar. And do you know that the same God 
who created the process in that butterfly created you. And that so many times in scripture and so many times in our lives, we see God allow the struggle to persist. We see times where he doesn't jump in right away to save us. We see times where he allows us to mature, to grow, to persevere, to strengthen, to increase our faith so that we would see um, so that we would see God move. Thomas was dying in his doubts. Martha was dying in the delay. Mary is probably the most difficult. Um, if you're taking notes, Mary is dying in her discouragement and disappointment. It says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet Jesus, but Mary stayed home. Can you just feel the discouragement? Can you just feel her at home as Martha's getting ready? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He answered our call, and she's getting and bustling and going out the door, and Mary just going, I'll just go on. He's already dead. What good is it going to do? And I'll meet people who are so discouraged, who are so disillusioned, who are so disappointed that they'll say, you know what? I'm just going to sit here at home and I'm going to sulk. I'm not, I'm not going to try anymore. I, I'm not going to put out the resumes. I'm not going to ask somebody out. I'm not going to do what needs me. I'm just 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 go on. It's never going to change. I've prayed. God doesn't seem to answer. I waited. He doesn't seem to come. Just, just go on. And Mary, in her discouragement and disappointment, allows herself to be isolated, which is exactly what discouragement and disappointment will do if we let it. And she misses out on the essential things that need to be happening during times of discouragement and disappointment, which is leaning into community. That's the very time that we need each other. Look what happens in verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw Martha weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. You see Martha who does not let herself succumb to the disappointment, the discouragement, and she's out there, she's trying. And here have come these Jewish people, uh, uh, presumably friends of hers who are weeping along with her, grieving along with her, processing along with her in community. In the New Testament, we'll call that the one another's. We pray for one another. We love one another. We encourage one another. We bear one another's burdens. In community, we find strength. And not only does Mary, in her isolation, miss out on the community of Martha and those Jewish brothers and sisters, but here, <laughs> this is amazing. It says he was, and Jesus he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And it says in verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept along with Mary, actually with, along with Martha. 
Man, I don't know about you, but I'm just imagining Mary alone in her home, crying out to God, saying, where are you? Why won't... Why won't you answer me? Where are you in all this? How different it would have been had she been there with those people and literally wept along with Jesus to get the sense that God understands what we're going through, to get the sense that God cares about what is going on. Folks, when that begins to happen, the discouragement begins to dissipate. The disappointment begins to dissipate, and we find ourselves with something called hope. And had she taken a little bit of strength to come out of that disappointment, discouragement, and isolation, then she would have experienced this. Move the stone away from the tomb, Jesus called out in a loud voice. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And in that moment, Jesus took every one of us who have felt like a victim and said, I can make you a victor. He took every one of us who would say, we are, we are right in the middle of a mess. Can I say 2020? We're right in the middle of a mess. And Jesus said, you know what? I can overcome death, man. I can turn your mess into a message. One day you will tell your grandkids about this time. And if you do it right, you'll be able to tell them all the ways that I was working in your life, why I waited so long, why I waited so long, how I worked in your life takes a mess and turns it into a message. He takes a trial and turns it into a triumph. He takes a test and turns it into a testimony. Jesus takes the, he puts the fun back in funeral. Come on, I'm preaching up here. You're responding down here, okay? He puts the fun in funeral. Folks, whatever you are dealing with, whether you're dying in the midst of doubts, dying in the midst of discouragement and disappointment, dying in the midst of waiting on God, Jesus would say, no matter what you're dealing with, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then Jesus asked Martha the question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? It was a few years ago that uh, a couple came into my office and they sat down, and it was pretty easy to see that he was frustrated with her, and she'd headed up to here with him. And they went back and forth and went back, to, back and forth and eventually said the words, I loved him, but I feel like my love is dead. And he confirmed that. He affirmed that that's how he felt about her, 
And in that moment, I thought to myself, I, I just, I've never heard that before. I, I, I don't know what to say. Do I, I mean, normally I would say, you got to do a date night or get in a small group or pray a little bit or go to a, you know, counselor or whatever. And in that moment, I had no, I didn't know idea what to say. Your love for him is dead. Your love for her is dead. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit put it in my mind, in my heart to just say, well, that's okay. Because my God is in the business of raising dead things back to life. (laughs) I am the resurrection and the life. I don't know what you're dealing with right now. I don't know whether it's some area of finance, whether it's some area of relationship, whether it's some area of addiction. I don't know what is discouraging you right now. I don't know how long you've been waiting on God. The the, the issue could be different, but the question is the same. Down through 2,000 years of history, Jesus would say to you and to me, do you believe this? Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, the thousands of people that will hear these words, God, we come from so many different backgrounds. We come from so many different socioeconomic backgrounds, so many uh, ethnic backgrounds, so many church backgrounds. Some of us grew up going to church, watching uh, Sunday school, and some of us are brand new to the whole church thing. Lord, so many thousands of people watching this. We've had so many different weeks. Some of us this week, God, we have, we have had the most joy-filled. We are watching our kids thrive on e-learning. and <laughs> So many people are just got a promotion and so many people. But Lord, there are others that are so discouraged. Father, I pray that right now, no matter where we are in our journey, you would encourage our heart. And you would show us very clearly, what is our next step with you? Father, I pray that if we are doubting, you'd give us the courage to take the next step and do the next right thing. Father, if we are tempted to not wait on you, but to create a shortcut or to do something that's it's not your way, then Father, give us perseverance. Give us patience. Surround us with people that can hold us accountable. Give us teaching, Lord, to to convict us and put us on our way. And Lord, Father, if we are so disillusioned, so discouraged, Father, there might be somebody right now who's watching this who is completely alone. I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to lean into community. Encourage us, Father, through the people that you love. Help us to find community, Lord. Encourage us. Dear Jesus, whatever our next step is, I pray that you give us the courage to take it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.